Welcome back, podcast fans. I'm your host, Annette Hines, and this is Parenting Impossible, the Special Needs Survival Podcast. For those of you who um, listened to my podcast and my introduction last week, you know that my family's been going through a lot. Well, things are unfortunately getting worse. Um, This is a very hard topic, and... I can't go into too much detail, but my daughter, Caroline, is suffering right now at the hands of an abuser who has now manipulated the court system into helping him abuse her further. It's beyond unfair. It's actually epic and its potential to ruin a life. But more than that, I'm worried for her. I worry about her safety, I worry about her ability to stand up to all of this. She's been through so much. If you read my book, you know that she suffered as a child as well. And it's crushing. It's crushing her spirit. And as her mother, I fiercely want to fight and rage against all of this and the system that I love and am a part of as a lawyer is letting her down again for the second time in her really young life and what this is teaching her is that she has no value no worth that nobody hears her nobody believes her And I don't know what to do. Well, I ask you all to please just pray for us and pray for Caroline. Pray that we get through this and that she is resilient and is able to find the joy in life. It is, it is just crushing. I know I just used that word, but. It's how I feel, and it's how she feels. So maybe next week I'll be able to tell you more about what's going on. I want to check in with her and make sure she's okay with all of that. This week, um, it's the second episode on tech and disability, which don't let my sad intro take away from this wonderful conversation that I had with Hugo Richards, who is CEO of Distech in Australia. And it is an absolutely fascinating area, just like last week when we talked about tech and um, artificial intelligence. So let me tell you about Hugo. He's an entrepreneur. He's doing his best work at the intersection of artificial intelligence, ed tech, and dyslexia. As a person who suffers from dyslexia, I can tell you that um, I wish that I had this kind of information when I was growing up. He's worked in startups for the past seven years. And even though he's a relatively young man, he is he has achieved some amazing awards and accomplishments. He's worked on 
diverse AI projects and startups in France, UK, and Australia. He's been drawn to solving complex problems in our society. And his goal is to create more awareness around how computer science and AI could ultimately enable the creation of reliable tools that will positively impact children from all over the world and drastically improve and change how we do education, just like my guest last week. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, please go back and do that now. These two episodes together were really eye-opening. So um, we talked a lot about some unique and innovative solutions to working with children, mainly with learning differences. And um, this is where he comes in. He, they, they've developed these assessment tools to diagnose children with dyslexia, dysgraphia, and other things. And previously where there would be hours and hours and sometimes days of evaluations, and it would take a really long time to get all of the reports back. They have had an impact to date of saving over 200 hours worth of assessments. So navigating this topic area was a little difficult for me because I didn't know much about the subject other than having had an evaluation for dyslexia when I was in college. Um, but the idea that they can diagnose so quickly on the spot and the tools could be so readily available. I don't know what it's like around the world. In my little area of the country of, U of the US, it can cost up to $5,000 or more for private evaluation services. It can take six months or more to get an appointment. And it could take another month or two after that to get the report. And then if you need that assistance to take that report and that professional to a meeting with your school to discuss things, that costs more and takes even more time. So the idea that we can dramatically cut the time, the cost, and to really develop this tech in a way that it can be reliable, reliable enough that school systems will accept it. This is so exciting so exciting and holds so much promise for our disabled student community. So as always, please let me know if you like this episode, if Hugo rings a bell for you, I would love to hear from you. And here we go. Welcome back, podcast fans. I'm your host, Annette Hines, and this is Parenting Impossible, the Special Needs Survival Podcast. So exciting to have somebody here from Australia. This is actually not my first interview with an Australian person. Um, 
It's my second. The first one I did within the first month of starting this podcast three years ago, but I still get really tripped up with all of the time changes. And uh, so I welcome Hugo Richard. Hugo, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. My pleasure. Thanks, thanks for having me, Anna. It's great to be here. It's so funny to talk about how you are in tomorrow and I'm in, you know, I'm on Tuesday, you're on Wednesday. It is really bizarre for you to be 15 hours ahead of us. Um, yes. But that just means that he's fresh because it's in the morning there and it's evening here and I am not so fresh. So <laughs> I'm going to let you go do most of the talking, but I do want to introduce this topic. So up above my head is a sign that says, create the things you wish existed. It is my life motto and mission. And Hugo is an entrepreneur and a creator who just embodies that. If ever I met anybody else besides me who was creating the things they wished existed, Hugo is the guy. So we're going to talk about what's been created in Hugo lands, right? Today, we're going to talk about um, dyslexia and dysgraphia and anything else in the dis arena that he wants to talk about. Um, and I personally am so interested in this topic. As I mentioned to you, Hugo, before we started our podcast today, I am dyslexic. And I was uh, actually diagnosed or tested in college. It took me that long to figure out what the heck was going on with me and my brain. Um, and it was a long time ago. I won't tell you how many decades because I do not want to out myself and my age, but it was more than two decades. I'll tell you that. <laughs> so it was um, interesting to read that you were saving teachers two hours of assessments per student because I remember those tests vaguely, but I remember them to be really long and aggravating. So mm -hmm. um I really want you to introduce us to your company and, you know, how, what, what is your background and how did you get started on this topic? <laughs> yeah, great question. Great question. Um, well, I'm dyslexic and dysgraphic. Uh, so I think we do share a lot of commonality here, Annette, uh, which is great. And I have been diagnosed around 10, 11. So that's, a bit more than a decade ago. <laughs> um, yeah, because he's a two. lot younger than I am. <laughs> <laughs> nearly two, nearly two. Um, but um, I'm actually, I was born and bred in France. Um, and when I got diagnosed, um, nothing happened after that. I literally went and see a speech pathologist for two years to learn how to read and write. But I was never labeled ever right so my education kept going and you know i fell a lot but it, mm. it was it was not part of my sort of day-to-day -day life so i was not i was not self-aware of any you know anything uh it was just me not being great at school right so then i initially started my sort of professional life as a printer i used to print you know business card poster maybe oh. the poster that you have ahead of you right yeah. um and i left france and moved to australia for jobs i was actually a printer there and 
slowly but surely, I actually started learning a lot of stuff on YouTube, right? For some reason, I, I was trying to catch up all the sort of wasted year at school. Uh, and I realized I could actually get some of those on YouTube and potentially at a much faster rate than, yeah. you know, otherwise at school, right? Yeah. And, and yeah, and so I, I always love playing with ideas and because I failed a lot, I think, during school, I just got this grip of being able to really try something and if it fell, it doesn't absolutely matter. You know, I just learned from it. So I think I've been lucky um, in this sense in that I, I can try a lot of stuff very easily and, and failing, it doesn't have any impact on me. It's just mm -hmm. actually just re-energize re me to do something more. So what that meant is that I created uh, my first startup in 2015. Um, and initially, you know, we we're playing around with 3D tour or property uh, and, mm -hmm. and trying to work with really state people and, you know, property developer to sell them 3D tour of their property. And then I've never stopped since then. So I've been involved in, you know, innovation and, and startup for the past seven to eight years. And I've worked in London at some point. Um, and for the past four years, nearly five, I've been working and sort of operating a, a startup called Distech. And we started this with uh, three other founders. Um, mm -hmm. And... That actually brought me back to my initial sort of diagnosis when I was a kid, right? Around learning yeah. differences and dyslexia and dysgraphia. And really the main theory before we started this tech was, well, surely we should be able to, you know, use technology to help all those millions of kids around the world who, you know, do have learning differences, right? Mm -hmm. And so mainly... Um, you know, we, the team, the founding team have a very long academic background in what's called data science and, you know, more precisely this brand new super cool thing called artificial intelligence and machine learning. So oh, very techy exciting. Terms. Yeah, yeah, really. So fascinating. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's the expertise that we've had. And, you know, we didn't have any, you know, teaching expertise or literacy expertise or psychological expertise whatsoever um and really the main scientific theory behind this deck initially was well the observable symptom of dyslexic is struggle with reading surely we should be able to analyze their reading recording and predict whether they're dyslexic or not with a high level of accuracy using ai right mm -hmm. it's very simple it's a very simple theory uh, <laughs> and then we said okay how do we even start to try and prove that this is feasible and so mm -hmm. we started in 2018 and the first thing we had to do with, was basically collect data. We needed right. to collect reading recording. And if you think about it, it basically meant we'd have to knock on door and talk to parents and say, hey, can I get a reading recording of your eight-year-old? And that's not easy, right? No. Um, specifically, we are a for-profit company. We are not affiliated with any university. We're just a bunch of people trying to help millions of kids with technology. And we think we might have a solution for that. We just need to do the initial research. So it yeah. took us a long time to be able to build trust and partnership, obtain ethic approval, all that sort of thing. And being able to have enough data to actually have a, an initial sort of piece of 
predictor, an initial model. Right. So we started in 2018, fast forward to 2021, we been able to build a model and we had at the time, we had around 80% accuracy from which that basically we were collecting 30 reading recording of a given student and we predicted the likelihood of being dyslexic uh, between zero and one, basically, you know, you know, it's never yes or no. It's always there's a high likelihood, there's a low likelihood. And right. we actually had about 80% accuracy. And so I'll stop there. But, you know, there's much more to this and, and you know, from, from where we started and, and we actually um, been able to have some peer-reviewed scientific publication about the work that we've done into some very cool scientific conference in Europe. We've been invited to talk to scientific conference in Oxford and in, you know, wow. around the place, around the work that we're doing. And, and it's very exciting. I think, I think there's other, uh, some university who have sort of tried to explore also that approach on autism. So it's just, I think that the a movement is being created. And the way we see this is that it already happened in health, right? Um, really, you can download a phone on your app on your on your sorry an app on your phone you can take a photo of your skin and the app would tell you whether you have skin cancer with much higher rate of accuracy than any professional on earth right it's already happening um it's just a matter of how do we apply that to learning differences how do we apply that to education how do we create trust and understanding around the technology yeah. uh and all that sort of thing so that's the work that we're doing right now <laughs> Wow. It, it really is mind-blowing. I mean, seriously. Let's take a step back for maybe people in the audience who don't know what we're talking about. Can you tell me what dyslexia is and what dysgraphia is and anything else that you're working on? Oh, wow. Um, well, look, trying to stay very humble and scientific here. Um, there's a lot of definition around dyslexia, depending on the country that you decide to look at. Um, mm -hmm. But what I would say is that Dyslexia and dyslexic people learn to read differently than the rest of the people. And what that means is that, generally speaking, the way we teach how to read around the world is actually not really meant for us. And what that means is that, generally speaking, when you transition from kindergarten, where you learn by experience, which, by the way, we, all, we are all born to learn by experience, right? If you touch right. the hot iron, you will never touch it again because you know it burned. Uh, mm -hmm. You experienced it. Uh, but when you transition from kindergarten to primary school, we are now telling you that your medium of learning will become reading and writing. And yes. if you're dyslexic, um, you might get left way behind because your ability to learn how to read is quite different. And if it's not being picked up and supported early on um you know you can't read so you can't learn and so you can't go to school i mean you know if you can't read what what do you do in school so that's what dyslexia is and dysgraphia is very similar but with writing um so that's a very sort of broad high level details uh definition of what those things are and i think the most important thing as well is that dyslexia is categorized as a you know, depending on how you call it, learning disability. I like to call it learning difference because, you know, mm -hmm. disability has a negative connotation, but it's the most common learning difference in the world, right? Much yeah. more common than autism. Much yeah. more common. 
Yeah. So if you depend on, on which study you look at, it's anywhere between 10 to 20% of the world population with dyslexia. I think autism, wow. you have one autistic person for 156 individuals. Dyslexia is like one out of 10 or one out of 20. So it's very, very common. I had no idea. Hmm. Well, the good, the good exercise to do is ask your friend if they know someone with dyslexia. And you, yeah. you see, most of them would say yes. Well, they uh, all know me, you, so yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And the big problem, I think, with the difference between dyslexia and autism is that autism is, is much more tangible. You don't need to have a, a, a master's degree in, in psychology to understand that someone might have autism. You can just have a five-minute conversation with them, and it might be likely that you could sort of, sort of tell that there's something a bit different. Mm -hmm. But dyslexia, right, we could have known each other for our entire life and you couldn't tell. There's absolutely no way to tell. It's very hard. It's not tangible. Uh, and, and that's why I think we're only getting at a stage where there's much more initiative from government. There's more uh, law that are being passed and support put in place because assessment is becoming a bit more easier uh, mm -hmm. and and. And the science around dyslexia also is advancing. We're discovering new things around what it is and exactly how it happened and, you know, all sorts of things. So we're getting there. <laughs> yes, definitely. Well, I know you have half dozen or so fabulous awards over the last couple of years for everything that you've been doing. So we know that the... Uh, public and the scientific uh, community are liking what they see. But I still don't really understand. And I would love for you to explain to me how you're, how you're using AI to assess in a way that is innovative and different than the paper pencil testing that I did like yeah. too many years ago. Yeah, yeah. I think maybe the, the, the right way to start answering this question is to have like a maybe three-minute explanation of what machine learning is. Uh, and I've, I've worked on that to try and really make sure that, you know, anyone can sort of get a clue of what it is because obviously it's very technical. It's basically lots of mathematic, complex things. But if you think of computer... Ah, sorry. If you, if you think about the task that we human can do um, and... But basically, there's two categories of tasks that we can do, right? There's the first category is task that we can literally write a step-by-step -step guide, give that guide to anyone else, and they'll be able to do that task. So, for example, if I um, ask you to write a step-by-step -step guide to tell me how to log in onto uh, your email, Mm -hmm. it's very easy step one turn on your computer by clicking this button step two step three step four and you can give these sets of rules to anyone and they'll be able to actually do the task but very easy yeah but the second category of things that we can do very very good as well is if i show you an image of a dog and then i ask you to write a set of rule to teach me how you've done that magical thing which is I've been able to tell that it's a dog instantly on the photo just by looking at it, then you run into a bit of a trouble because yeah. there's many dog breed. There's millions of ways you can take a dog in a picture. It can be in the background. It can be, you know, like how do you even start doing a set of rules that anyone can use? 
right? And so the way we've been building software uh, since the beginning of computer has been an approach where it's a rule-based approach. We already know how to do this. We just have to put it in code. If this, then that. It's very easy. Mm-hmm. But we were really, really bad at doing things where we didn't know the rule. Right? How do you get a computer to recognize a dog on an image? I mean, this how? It's just not It's super hard. And so what machine learning has been able to do in the recent years is that now we can get computer to do the task in the category two, which is we don't know exactly the rules, but the computer can learn it. And the way that works is basically you feed the computer millions of images of dogs mm-hmm. and you train what we call a model. And then when you've trained that model, you just give that model a new image that the model has never seen. It tell you, yes, there is a dog. No, there isn't. And then you can say, oh, well, mm-hmm. that's quite accurate, actually. Yeah. So huh. we took the exact same approach with dyslexia. Uh, so remember, I said the observable symptom of dyslexia is difficulty with reading, right? Yeah. Although there's a lot of scientific unknown around dyslexia, the thing that everyone on, on earth is agreeing upon is that, yeah, it's definitely trouble with reading. Okay. So what we did is we basically collected thousands of reading recording of diagnosed dyslexic and thousands of reading recording of fluent reader, right? And there is a difference between the two. We don't really know what it is right? The, we don't really know the rules. Right. And we basically train a model to learn the tiny little details that we human might not even be able to see um, between diagnosed dyslexic and fluent reader. And so we've trained that model. And after that model was trained, basically the way we test if the model is accurate, so think of having 100,000 reading recording. What we do is we take 10,000 out and we train the model on a 90,000 reading recording that we have. Let's say they're 50% dyslexic, 50% print reader. And when that reading recording, sorry, when that model is trained, what we do is we then test that model on the 10,000 reading recording that the model has never seen. And we count basically out of 10,000 reading recording, how many times are we making a correct prediction on dyslexia? Wow. So that's it. And, that's that's really it. And what is the accu- accuracy rate? So right now we are averaging 91% accuracy, although this is empirical. So what that means is that it's based on the data that we've collected. Um, so right now we, we have a fair amount of reading recording. But as we collect more and more data, it, it can only become more and more accurate, basically, because okay. you give it more to learn from. I see. That's starting to make sense now. Okay. Right. All right. So I was reading a a lot about this. I like to do my homework. And um, the amount of time that it takes for an educator to do this assessment is like minutes, right? Yeah. Six minutes on average. 380 seconds. Like (laughs) I just, like I mentioned, you know, I, I feel like I tested for at least an hour or two, at least. Um, yeah. Mm. So you've obviously got the data volume up so that you can be an accurate predictor at 91 plus percent. That's amazing. Uh, as I was reading through the materials, 
and learning about this, you said that you can objectively assess six, six aspects of reading. So what are those aspects of reading that it is evaluating? Yeah. So what we did is when we initially had the model, um, we very quickly released basically a dyslexia screener. And the idea was that, you know, surely people would want to be able to use that screener to tell whether their child is likely to be dyslexic. And, um, and, but then what, what's happening is that it's, it's kind of like going to the doctor being diagnosed with a condition and your doctor is sort of not telling you how to or what to do next, right? So um, we needed to do more than just telling whether there's a high likelihood of dyslexia. And the engineering around the technology that we've are actually extremely useful for educator who provide reading intervention because those type of assessment and report is something that they have to do and have to obtain in order to understand how and where to start the reading intervention. Okay. So, so those, so there's a couple of things that we also measure in this six minute ish uh, online reading mm -hmm. assessment. There's things like reading accuracy, there's things like sight word fluency, word reading fluency, phonetic decoding fluency, uh -huh. and this other thing called syllabication, right? So what we do is that we can actually extract a lot of information from reading recording. So I'll give you an example. Let's say we show you a word, the word is house, and you read the word house. Uh, we can actually extract a lot of things from the reading recording. So for example, the time from which the word appear and you attempt to try to read, we can calculate this to the millisecond. That's actually your reading reaction time. It's kind of like your automaticity. How quick are you in, wow. attempt, in attempting to read? That's um, amazing. Yeah. So all those things are actually very relevant information that literacy professional speech pathologists, people who are trying to provide reading intervention would want to know before even starting any support. And so now our main goal is to actually empower those people. So empowering those literacy professionals, those tutors who are providing the reading support and who are currently right now, you know, using the pen and paper and like, okay, mm -hmm. Let's mm -hmm. assess your reading accuracy. And when the assessment is done, I'm going to count how many errors you've done. And yeah, yeah. when I get the result, I'm going to norm this related to your age. I yeah. mean, like, so all of this we do completely automatically, right? Um, and so not only we can provide the likelihood of dyslexia, we can also provide you with very, very important information that you would need in order to start a reading intervention. Okay. And so what that means is that whether you're dyslexic or not, right, you might have other struggle. Right? It might be vision impairment. It might be hearing impairment. It might be autism, mm -hmm. right? It can be anything. We yeah. can tell you whether your child is behind in their reading related to their age group, regardless okay. of them being dyslexic or not. All right. So, Hugo, I think I'm starting to get this. And I think what I understand is that 
um, because it's so affordable and you the the volume of testers that you are bringing in you know, it just helps you, the more data you have, the more accuracy you'll get, right? Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, so the there's two pieces of technology. There is the reading performance, which is accurate regardless of the number of data that we have. Mm -hmm. uh, so things like fluency and accuracy, and we are, we're just about to release uh, phonological awareness, actually, next week, hopefully. Wow. Um, so all of those reading performance measurements do not rely on data. They are accurate uh, based on how we've actually engineered the assessment itself and what we can extract from the reading recording. The prediction, which is us telling whether there's a likelihood of dyslexia, that would become can only become more accurate as we collect more and more reading recording, as we collect yes. more and more information from all yes. around the world. You know, and as you were talking about how even if you don't find dyslexia or a probability of it, you're still finding other issues with reading. And I've always wondered this because I, you know, I got a dyslexia diagnosis, but my brain's working a little differently. I actually like won a, a spelling bee <laughs> in my state, um, but it's my brain kind of takes a picture like a PDF of things and that's how I remember I don't follow the rules of spelling I see the word as a picture and I just yeah. memorize everything the way that it's supposed to look and so for me that before I even knew I had a problem that's how things look to me and yeah life, yeah it, it just takes forever so oh my god law school was hell hell thousands of pages of reading a week you know it was crazy trying to get through it and the only way I did it was I would go to school at eight o'clock in the morning and I would stay until five and I just treated it like my job because it took mm. me three times longer than everybody else to read the materials yeah. and, and it I shouldn't be taking right snapshots and then yeah and then decoding it in my brain of okay so what does this picture mean what does this picture mean so yeah. um and, you know, legal words are huge and horrible. So, yes, I agree. <laughs> I don't know if it would really be dyslexia if I was testing now, but definitely a reading problem. I still, you know, have all my numbers backwards and I don't have that yeah. much trouble with. Um, well, actually, I shouldn't say that. I don't have that much trouble with numbers. I have a, all my difficulty with letters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and th that's actually what you've mentioned is actually something. So we've worked with literacy experts, you know, who've been sort of doing this for the past 20 plus years. So because we had absolutely no clue, right? We don't have the founding team, the core founding team don't have any expertise in how, how do we even teach that to read, right? To, reading is super, super complicated. When we read, our brain is the amount of things our brain is doing is mind boggling. And yeah. most of the people take it for granted. But when you start looking into the details around what exactly are we doing when we're looking at shape on a piece of paper and finding the sound and putting the sound together and putting the context of the word in the center, like there's so much things. And so the assessment themselves that we are, that we are building, um, is a combination of very strong literacy engineering to make sure that the assessment 
assess all the aspect needed. So, for example, um, there's a lot of people who are visually memorizing words because they've seen them before. So you've seen the word house everywhere, yes. right? So that's why there's this thing called pseudo word or some other call it nonsense word, which basically are, are non-English word that don't exist, but they are pronounceable. And so that's part of our assessment. So what that means is that you can't just rely on you remembering words that you've seen on TV or, you know, somewhere else. You actually have to decode that word, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of things like this that we've put in place. So that's, that's, why, that's why we say the assessment that we're building are extremely objective in a way that there's not much choice for an educator to make. It's just you sit there, you follow the instruction, and anywhere you are in the world, you can be sure that the result that you get are consistent and objective. Um, mm. As soon as you have a human starting making choices and decisions, it's, it's, all, it's all starting to have a lot more bias in it. Um, yeah. And, you know, if you look at dyslexia, for example, some educational psychologists will do an IQ test. Some won't. Right? So mm -hmm. it's still a process that we are learning. Um, diagnosing dyslexia. And just so you know, it's, it's not binary. It's it, like, if you compare, and I do this comparison, although it's horrible, but if you compare cancer and dyslexia, cancer is super straightforward, right? It's a yes or no. You do or you don't, right? Dyslexia, there is still a lot of, well, we give you a diagnosis of dyslexia, but you know, it's it's not tangible. Like how you know, we can't just scan your brain and tell you, yes, we have one hundred percent guarantee that you yeah. are dyslexic, right? Mm -hmm. So it's still a work in progress. Um, and what we try to do is to take a new approach that will provide accessibility. For those assessment, I mean, we have parents paying up to five thousand dollar and waiting twelve months before having an appointment, right? For a piece of paper that can come back saying it's inconclusive, uh -huh. <laughs> right? Yeah. So how do we change that? I mean, this cannot just like come on. You know, we live in a world of technologies has enhanced our capacity so much, and yet we're still having those absolutely fundamental problem with you know not being able to read and paying a lot of money for just a diagnosis and reading is the most fundamental skill for every single sort of human on earth who at least live in a society where you know it's it's slightly developed right if you yeah. can't read in the US or in Australia like how can you can't really commute how do you apply for a job how do you order at a restaurant i mean mm -hmm. reading is so fundamental um, and unfortunately what happened is that, you know, if you don't get picked up early on and you go along, the difficulty and negative impact is exponential, specifically during those early years. And right. there's a very, very high correlation between poor literacy and crime. Mm -hmm. And then you can start having a society pitch to government and say, how much does it cost us to have someone in prison for 20 years? Yeah. What's the level of literacy of that person? Well, instead of helping those people who already have committed crime, how about we help them like when they're in school? 
-hmm. Well, we can't because it's $5,000 and you have to work 12 months, but not everyone can pay $5,000, right? So how do we bring this, how do we fill this gap, really? That's... That's the question. Well, That's what and I don't know what it's like in Australia, but here in the U.S., the school districts fight us tooth and nail. So we have to have, we have to come armed with those testing results. And even then, they still don't give us what we need sometimes. Yeah. Is your testing accepted around the world as an accurate enough diagnosis that we can get the literacy tools that we need? for Oof. our children yeah well the answer is no and the reason for this is because we've started the work that we do four years ago and we are trying to take a seat at a table where people have been doing the same thing for the past 50 years mm -hmm. and so it will take us time and effort and resources to have a scientific discussion with those people, educate them around the approach that we're taking because it has nothing to do with psychology. It has everything to do with mathematics and data. And so when you look at the people who do legislation, who are sort of in control of what is what, very often they have a psychological background. They're educational psychologists and they, they don't necessarily have a very deep understanding of, well, what's feasible with data and what's feasible with machine learning? What is that field about? Uh, and right. so, so at that time, at that point in time, um, what we are doing, the impact that we are having is by the report that we provide are extremely tangible in which that we, we provide basically red, yellow, or green. And mm -hmm. you don't necessarily need to understand, for example, what phonol, you know, phonetic decoding means, but everyone knows what red means. And if it's red, you need to start discussing support. And, and what we're seeing with the people who use our platform is that, because you see, the way we, we see this problem, it's actually a very complicated problem, and there is three key pillars to this problem. There is the parent who have different problem and different need. There is the school, like you've mentioned, the school is very important. Mm -hmm. And then there is the person who is trained and capable of providing the intervention and support needed. And sometimes that person can be, yeah, sometimes, yeah. yeah, sometimes that person can be in a school, but sometimes the school doesn't have the resources to have someone like them. So right. you have to go to private clinic. Right. right. And so, yeah. What we are doing is that we are actually working with school and literacy professional and, you know, which, and, and, and the school who use us are very uh, fast forward thinking school who are keen mm -hmm. to innovate and try and really genuinely to help the, those parents and same for the literacy professional who use us. And so some case study, for example, we see some school who do that six minute assessment, give the report to the parents. So that when the parent go and see a pediatrician or a literature professional, they already have a bunch of information that the clinician can come in and take on and say, oh, okay, that makes sense. Cool. All right, let's sit down and let's get started about talking about how we can help. Because sometimes so when, the, when the parent advocate by themselves, it's very easy for other people to say, well, you're just a, a parent. Like you love your kid, you're oh, yeah. biased, you're not thinking straight. 
right? right? But if they come with a report that we have, then people will go to our website. They see that we have a strong research and they can read about our work and we are an authority in that regards. And it's not just the parents advocating, right? right? And, and, and likewise, for parents who are working with literacy professionals, literacy professional who use us can provide that report to parents and then parents go to school with that report. So it's not just the parent advocating, it's the parent plus evidence from a third party. And now people start talking, okay, okay, well, maybe we can, you know, give that kid a bit extra time, or maybe I can give this to my, you know, English teacher to sort of understand, maybe we can put something in place. Mm. So that's the impact that we are observing uh, and, and the positive impact that our technology is having. The legal aspect where governments are legally recognizing the report as a diagnosis, yeah. that's another battle. It's completely okay. different and it's going to okay. take a bit of time. <laughs> well, that kind of leads me to my last question, which, um, and, you know, I told you this time would go by so fast. Um, what is next for you? So now that you have conquered this, the assessment piece, and you are, you know, gathering the data and working on continuing to be be um, an authority in the community and get recognized as a great way to assess and diagnose and then set goals. So what are the next things that you're working on? Where is this going from here? Hmm. So there's two uh, stream of work that the team is working on. The first stream is to develop more assessment. Mm -hmm. So more assessment because, like I said, reading is very complicated. So is writing. And you need, unfortunately, to assess multiple aspects of reading in order to understand where the gaps are. And you need to start there. So more assessment so that we can really replace every single paper-based assessment that's out there. So if you're an educator and you're doing any paper-based uh, or you generally do a battery of paper-based tests, you know, one, two or three, you can do them all with us for uh, a fraction of the time and most likely a fraction of the cost and no reporting, no manual reporting, automatic reporting. So that's one piece of work that we, we're currently doing and, you know, we have an amazing roadmap. The second is really around the scientific aspect and what other learning differences can we assess, right, with the data that we collect. And that's in the realm of science, so we actually don't know if it's possible Mm -hmm. But we think it might be. And so the next big thing for us is to look at autism. Mm -hmm. um, there is this thing called prosody when you read, which is basically your ability to have intonation when you read a joke, for example. So if I don't have prosody and I'm reading something to you, it will be, hi, Anna, today the hairdresser is closed. And, uh, right? So I don't have mm -hmm. this prosody of intonation and exclamation and questioning, right? Um, and so it turns out there's a lot of study that shows that, you know, they're often, not all the time, but often uh, people with autism have a slightly different prosody than other people. And, you know, we have a bunch of reading recording and, and okay. there's some interesting things that can be done there. So, so that's, that's, that's really the two piece of work that we're working on, which is making sure that we have a platform that can be used entirely for assessment and progress monitoring and note taking mm. 
as well as developing super interesting piece of science behind that could potentially then become diagnosis or at least pre-assessment of certain types of condition. That is just mind-blowing. I'm serious. That's great. So um, audience, you should definitely check out the website. There's fascinating information there. And as a parent, you can even buy these tests if you want and, and do them. So the website is distech, that's D-Y-S-T-E-C-H dot com dot A-U because it's in Australia. <laughs> and yes. so um, Hugo, thank you so much for being on the show today. This was fascinating. Create the things you wish existed. You are living the dream doing that. And <laughs> I am so glad that I got to meet you and talk with you today. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much, Annette, for inviting me and, and having that chat. And uh, I'm really looking forward to, to potentially chatting with you soon anyway uh, and certainly following the podcast that you're doing. I think it's amazing. And thank you for, I think, bringing awareness to the community because that's the first step. So great yes. to be here. Yes, and it's always great to try new things, a new approach. We don't have to keep doing things the same way we've done for 50 years, right? So, yes. um, so awesome. Thank you so much. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I just wanted to take a second to say how much I appreciate you taking the time to listen to these podcasts. I'm having a blast doing them, and I hope that you're finding the content to be what you were really hoping. If you are, please take a second to leave a rating and a review. It's so helpful in getting this content out to people who really need to hear it. Thank you so much.